you can be thinking, well, this person to whom I'm going to speak and say, brother or sister, you've sinned against me. Yes, they need humility because they need to hear me and they need to repent. You're right. You're right, Dr. Strange. They need humility. You need humility in going to them. Welcome to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss everything from Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. I'm your host, Jared Luchibor. Thank you for tuning in. Can you believe that this is episode 100? It has been such a fun ride producing these episodes with our incredible faculty here at Mid-America Reform Seminary, hearing their edifying and challenging discussions on doctrine and theology. Ultimately, though, we couldn't be where we are without you, the very person listening to this podcast. Your continued listenership and interest and support are greatly appreciated. On to the podcast now. Dr. Strange concludes his talks on church discipline, focusing on the principles and humility that are involved. Jared, it's a delight to be back with you and our undoubtedly well-disciplined listeners. Uh, We're glad that you are joining us for these reflections, uh, in our case now, on church discipline. And we were talking about, having talked about the the purposes of church discipline, a threefold and even a fourfold purpose, uh, as I styled it, which include justice for the offended, we're talking about now some of the um, principles of church discipline and particularly that offenses uh, should be dealt with as privately as possible and as personally uh, and locally as possible. So we were talking about the dynamic that we see in Matthew 18, 15, and 20. And what we have to remember is even when someone has sinned against us in a way we can point to a commandment that they broke in speaking to us or in acting, we do have to say, as I mentioned, First uh, Peter 4, 8, we have to consider that, cannot love cover this? Because if we're all the time going to people and saying, brother, sister, I'm coming to you on the basis of Matthew 18, um, that's not something we should be necessarily doing all the time. The, the default should be love covering a multitude of sins. Uh, Matthew 18 should be, no, I really need to speak to you about this because our fellowship is disrupted and we need to talk. So we say, if there is a true offense that disrupts fellowship and communion and needs to be addressed, then go in meekness and humility. That's the spirit that's urged in Galatians 6, right? Remember that? You who are spiritual, how are we to restore one another? In harshness, in rudeness? No, no, in meekness. And so you may well, before going to your brother, if you're thinking about Matthew 18, you may find it helpful to seek, notice how I put this, non-gossipy advice from your pastor or elders, people who would be a part of the solution. So it's perfectly proper to say, Pastor, I'm going to speak to Joe tomorrow about my con- a concern that I have. Can you help me to think about the best way to do that? So it's not that you're trying to tell the pastor. I mean, there is a proper kind of consultation about that. 
On the other hand, you don't want to be gossiping even to an office bearer. So there's a, there's a line there. But we could say there's an ever-present urge to gossip, slander, murmur, complain. But you need to be uh, humbly ready to hear the answer of the one that you believe is offended. So you go to that person and let's say you're going uh, under the rubric of Matthew 18. You're to try your best to resolve the matter personally. So you know there's the first step where you go personally, and then there's the second step. Well, you don't want to be overly perfunctory. In other words, you don't want to say, okay, I did I did the first step, and now we're right to the second step. Two or three witnesses, you know, we're off to the races here. Um, it's not wrong to go that first time, and maybe the person half hears you. Maybe they don't hear you. Maybe they're having a bad day. So in other words, you don't want to consider the first step necessarily most properly addressed uh, and exhausted, if I can put it that way, just because you went and said something and they said, no, I don't think so, or I don't think that's an offense. So, you know, you don't want to have that view of it. And you want to do it as much as possible in person. And these days we have alternate means of communication. You could send somebody an email. You could you could send them a text you could call them on the phone. There may be times when you have to do this if somebody is out of the area and you need to address it. But in in a general way, you need to do this as actually personally, not virtually. You need to not virtually confront people. You need to really uh, as much as you can. And as I say, it needs to be uh, both personally as possible and locally as possible. Any desire on your part to tell the Supreme Court, to tell the whole world what has been done about alleged personal private offenses, uh, remember as it says in Scripture, tell it not in Gath, meaning stay local, keep things local. Um, if the private is not successful, if you've gone to your brother or sister, Matthew 18, and ultimately you decide, well, they're not hearing me, they just won't receive it. Ask local witnesses to accompany you, two or three witnesses. Ask people who are spiritually discerning. And I would say this, why would you not ask elders? Presumably they're spiritually discerning. Or you certainly want to ask people who are. You're not required to ask elders, but it would be appropriate. You do need to remember this. The two or three witnesses that Matthew 18 speaks of are not a gang of your friends to accompany you to beat up your enemy. That's not the purpose. What is the purpose of the witnesses? To give unbiased, objective hearing and testimony to what is said by both parties. To facilitate communication, if necessary and possible, between the parties. Even to intervene and seek resolution. Perhaps one or both of the parties manifests an unreasonable, uncharitable spirit. The witnesses could urge forgiveness if it's not being properly offered or otherwise help along to reconciliation. And the witness could say to the person who alleges to be offended, um, wait a minute, didn't you just hear that they ask your forgiveness? Didn't you just hear they acknowledge they were wrong? Because sometimes when people are feel hurt or offended, uh, they miss <laughs> they miss the person saying, yes, I'm wrong. They miss the person saying, uh, I shouldn't have done that. And so the witnesses can help in all of that. Now we're to that third stage. You've Matthew 18, you've gone. They've not received it. They've said, no, I didn't offend you, or that's not anything wrong. 
And then the witnesses have come along and they've said, no, no. Then it says, if the offender will not listen to this at this point to the offended, tell it to the church, which is to say, bring it to the consistory, to the session, the governors of the church who represent it. And that's what it means by tell it to the church. We, we talked about that earlier. It doesn't mean tell everybody in the church. We're not congregationalists. We believe the church here is represented by the minister and elders, and that's the ones who are to know this and to act. Well, one of the things I want to finish with uh, are considerations about church discipline. And though we finish, it doesn't mean I don't have still lots more to say, and there's not lots more to say about the topic. But I think it's helpful, I've mentioned this before, to just think about how humility is needed on all sides of church discipline. You could be thinking, well, yes, if you're going to somebody under the rubric of Matthew 18, you should, you can be thinking, well, this person to whom I'm going to speak and say, brother or sister, you've sinned against me. Yes, they need humility because they need to hear me and they need to repent. You're right. You're right, Dr. Strange. They need humility. You need humility in going to them. Humility is needed all around the board. Remember Augustine once when he was asked, what are the three chief marks of the Christian? He said, I say, first of all, humility, and in the second place, humility, and last of all, humility. Augustine gave us a good word there. Uh, so we say humility is needed in the offending party, in the offended parties, excuse me, and in the restoring parties. All are challenged in the process to walk humbly before the Lord. Uh, again, Matthew 7, 1 to 5, right? Let the party that is offended be quite aware of their own sin and even of their contribution to the sin. In other words, get the telephone pole out of your eye before getting the toothpick out of your brother's eye. And we can properly speak of an innocent party. The Westminster Standards speak of an innocent party in a divorce case. And what they mean is the party that is the victim of someone who has committed adultery, who has abandoned them or seriously abused them. There is a proper innocent party, but even that party is not without sin. Innocent means with regards to the specific matter of the divorce, but it doesn't mean that they're without sin because nobody's without sin. In a general way, this is part of our sinful condition. We tend to minimize our faults and maximize those of others. So in all of our dealings with each other, we really keep that, we need to keep that in mind. I tend to minimize my own fault and maximize your fault. Uh, we need true humility here so that in the whole process, we really listen to each other, which is, is very easily lost when feelings run high. When people are angry, upset, frustrated, when emotions are at a high pitch, it's very hard to actually listen to each other. We, we're, we're so full of our own ways, our own thoughts. Uh, we're sure we're right. It's very easy to confuse the feeling of being right with actually being right. They're not the same thing. It's sort of like it's easy. We live in a day and age in which people make very strong assertions as if they're proof, but assertion isn't proof. It's just an assertion and getting louder and banging the table and so forth in your assertion doesn't make you right. Uh, we need to keep Matthew 7 in mind. We need to keep Galatians 6 in mind. Uh, I think that's particularly relevant to the session or the consistory as a restoring party. Uh, it says there in, in Galatians 6 that those involved in restoring somebody who's fallen, those who are spiritual, uh, 
uh, restoring someone who's fallen, and we can think of that particularly in the terms of the church governors. It says that they should be humble, which is to say they should be profoundly aware of their own sin and need. In the process of protracted and perhaps difficult dealings, this can be quite a challenge for persons on the consistory or the session, because they can get such a sense of we're right and they're wrong that they they come across in very high-handed ways. You have to be careful there. Um, think about this, the elements of biblical repentance. Uh, what are the elements of biblical repentance? What, what does repentance consist of? Well, it mirrors faith. Faith has three parts, knowledge, assent, and trust. We often speak of that. And repentance has a similar kind of three parts, uh, acknowledgement or recognition of the sin. That's the first of all, that God's law, holy law has been violated. So I've committed a sin. And then, but not just saying you've committed it, not just confessing it a bare confession. You have to hate the sin, which is to have God's mind toward it in a measure, and then turn from the sin with an endeavor after new obedience. Now, this is, this is really tricky. This is one of the most tricky things here in church discipline. True repentance does not mean that the party who is repentant for their sin no longer has any sort of struggle with the sin at all, having gained some sort of higher life or perfectionistic victory. So it doesn't mean that. Uh, the party ought to be truly humble. The repentant party ought to be truly humble and walk in new obedience, desire to walk in new obedience. But this is a challenge because some patterns of sin, some abuse, certainly addictions, sexual unfaithfulness, sins like this take some time to develop new faithful patterns of behavior. So if somebody has been has sinned in a particular way, Anytime you ask forgiveness, you should say that you forgive the sin, but that doesn't mean that the relationship is fully restored. That's a, that's a different matter. Think of it this way. If you worked for me, I'm a Christian employer and you're a Christian employee. If you worked for me and you stole and you said, please forgive me, I stole, I could say, I forgive you. Let's say you did this two or three times more. Let's say I give you to the third time and I say, I forgive you, but you're fired. Say, I'm, I'm required to forgive you because you seek it. I'm not required to keep you in my employ. And, you know, in a marriage, if somebody's sexually unfaithful, if they seek forgiveness, they are required, the, the party, uh, who, against whom they've sinned is required to forgive them. But that doesn't mean they're required to stay in the marriage. People get confused about this. They say, well, I, I committed adultery. But I asked them for forgiveness, and they said they forgive me, and so they have to stay married to me. No, those aren't the same things. They don't have to stay married to you. as just like if you abandon them and you abuse them. No, they don't have to stay married to you. And if you've done things like that, it's legitimate for them to say, you need to establish a pattern of right behavior here where there's been this wrong behavior. There needs to be a, a seen pattern over time. So all this is to say, on the one hand, we ought to restore the, 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 the sinful party when true brokenness for their sin is evident, not requiring victory altogether over sin. You can think about that particularly with addictions. People who may struggle with drunkenness or, or drug abuse, they can be really repentant, but that doesn't mean they're never going to do it again. Um, but, but we have to be able to deal with this. We have to be able to forgive people when they sin and to recognize that restoring of relationships is a larger and perhaps more complicated matter.
In these episodes on church discipline, Dr. Strange made plenty of illustrative references to marriage. That's going to be a subject that he continues with next week reminiscing on the Reformation and its perspective on marriage. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.